All right, Luke chapter 7, verse 18. It says, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we will come back to it together. It says, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, in reference to what we had studied the past two weeks, where Jesus has been performing miracles. He performed a miracle with the centurion's servant, and then last week we saw him uh, raise the widow's son uh, back from the dead. And now they, John's disciples, and this is John the Baptist, his disciples have seen these things, and they're bringing these things back to John, and we'll talk about that in a second. And it says in verse 19, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do you look for another? Or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. <laughs> you guys ever read the, uh, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount? Right? Blessed, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Right? Blessed are those. Now we get another one. Blessed are those who are not offended. Right? Man, it's 2021 where everyone's offended by everything. And he says, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. And we'll talk about that. He says, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you. And you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. So Jesus has just finished bringing a man back from the dead. He has shown us his power in his authority over death. And how important that is, because we're going to see at one point that obviously he is going to die, and then he is going to rise from the dead, where he is also going to show that he has power and authority over death. And, and most importantly, along with those things, is that he has victory, that he has victory over death. So as these things are happening, John, John the Baptist, who we saw earlier on, way, way earlier in the book, John the Baptist his disciples, the ones who are learning and following him, 
they see Jesus and they hear of these things and they report back to John what is happening because John is currently not where Jesus is or seeing the things that Jesus is doing, right? So, so they just report back to him. Um, and you got to understand that at this point, John is in prison, okay? So John is, that's why he's not there. He's in prison. You guys remember when he told Herod that what he was doing where he was, uh, he took his brother's wife, right? And he said, this, that's, not, that's not okay. Uh, so they threw him in prison. And eventually he was beheaded by, by the woman, right? Um, so he's in prison at this point, and his disciples come back to him, and they get word to him in prison that this is what Jesus is doing. These are the things that are happening. And so John then starts to question, right? So John has this question, and it's an interesting one. And as I was studying this, I was thinking, why would John the Baptist who is considered the forerunner of the Messiah, right? He's the one who was telling people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming. How is he then now, later, questioning Jesus as the coming one, or are we looking for another? And at the surface level, if you're thinking, why is John doubting? Like, where, where is this question coming from? Did he even genuinely believe beforehand, Right. Um, I mean, those, those are some of the questions that I had. You know, it, it's a really strange question. It seems like he is doubting Jesus. Um, remember, because in John chapter 1, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And about now, I guess this is around a year later, this is where we're, we're, we're at. He's questioning these things. But remember, he's in prison. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 3, it says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? So Matthew gives us that little bit of information that Luke doesn't, and that's why we have the four Gospels, so that we can kind of piece it all together. So he's in prison, okay? Now, how many of you have been in prison? Just Noah? Okay, I could see that, right? Um, <laughs> none of us have been in prison, but we can imagine what it's like. We, you know, uh, it's, nobody wants to go to prison, um, and it would be a hard thing. And now, obviously, John is in prison for doing something that was right. He did nothing wrong. And now he's alone. I'm sure the thoughts of... I'm, I'm sure there's many different thoughts that are going through his mind. And I believe that one of them at this point is thinking, I know that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not doing... What I, what I thought that he would do, like most of the Jews thought that the Messiah would do, which was to free them from their current struggle and their oppression with the Romans. He thought that the Messiah would be more of a political uh, victory than it would be a, a spiritual one. Like these, these little things that Jesus is doing. Like, you know, I, I see you doing these things, but Jesus, aren't you going to do more? Right? Aren't, aren't you going to do more? And I think really that's the question that John is asking that sometimes you and I ask that I believe in Jesus, but sometimes, sometimes I doubt or sometimes I expect him to do more than what I currently see. And obviously we, we kind of have blinders and we don't see the whole perspective. We don't see the whole picture. Um, but Jesus is the Messiah and he's going to come back to John, even in John's doubts, and, and reassure him that, yes, I know you have these doubts, but this is the assurance that I am the Messiah. That this is the assurance that what you believe is true. So again, John's in prison. Thing, things seem to appear, uh, you know, bad. 
he had expected that Jesus would, would destroy the powers of darkness and judge the unrighteous. Uh, but instead of doing this, uh, Jesus is off doing his thing, and he leaves John, who is now helpless in prison. And again, Satan will attack your mind. And that's why we see throughout Scripture in the Old Testament how important it is to keep our mind on Jesus. Look, if, if Satan can get a foothold in our mind, man, it, it, it takes a lot away from us. And so I just want to encourage you that if, if there's anything that you're struggling with, that whether it's doubt, and they understand that doubt is normal, that you're not going to be the Christian that's going to get saved and then have all the faith in the world and walk a, a steady line. Like, there will be times where you doubt and you're not sure. That happens. Understand that that's normal. But in those times, we've got to do what John does. And when John doubts, he goes to Jesus, right? And that's, that's where Jesus then reassures him of his faith, right? For many of us, when we doubt, we don't turn to Jesus, we turn somewhere else where then ultimately we're rejecting Jesus and that doubt then turns into unbelief. You know, I think of Elijah in the Old Testament, one of the greatest prophets. Uh, even James ex- says that he was one of the greatest prophets and he was an example of a man of faith and prayer. We see that in James chapter 5, verse 17. But Elijah himself also had, had struggles with doubt. You guys remember this story. We, we've talked about it a lot, about 1 Kings 18 and 19. Uh, he called down fire from heaven. You guys remember that? And, and, I mean, it was an amazing display of God's power. And yet, after that, he felt so defeated. Queen Jezebel tried to kill him. He ran away. He was just broken, right? So he gets to this cave. He gets, uh, he runs away. And he questions why God had, had abandoned him, right? So he's got doubt that's, guys, stop. so frustrating. Where was I? Who? Elijah. You guys separate? Can you do that for me? Oh, no, I know. I know. That wasn't in response to that. Yeah. Right now? Right now? No, like right now? Zach, come sit in the front row. Yeah. Please. Thank you. All right. So, Elijah doubted. And it was more than like a doubt. He's like, basically he says to God, like, just, like, I I would, just, I want to die. Right? So, (laughs) it was to the point where his doubt led to depression, um, but, you know, again, he didn't see the whole picture, and God reassured him as well. And God, God revealed to him that I have a plan, that there, there is a plan in action that you don't see. I just need you to trust in me. And so I think in our times of doubting, and they will come, guys, in our times of doubting, that we turn to God, and he will always prove himself faithful. It's just we need to turn to him, right? We need to turn to him in the same way that John does. And so he sends his disciples to ask him this question, are you the coming one? Or do we, do we look for another? So John's doubting while he's in prison. You know, he's alone. He's got nothing to do. You know, that's the point where, you know, Satan can really attack and, and say, well, man, look, you're not doing anything. You're worthless. Jesus hasn't done anything for you, this and that. And he can, he can throw these thoughts in your mind. And that's why we need to be transformed by the word of God daily 
as we read it. And that way, when, when these lies of Satan and these deceptive things come, that, that we won't take them in, right? That I can know that, Satan, what you're saying is a lie, and what God is telling me is truth. You know, so there are doubts that come. Um, doubts come because something didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, right? I mean, I, f- I feel like that happens a lot. Uh, doubts come because we feel like God is maybe not present in our life. Uh, we doubt sometimes because we feel like maybe we've sinned too much. Um, but to understand and to be reassured by God's word and God's work. Those are the two things that we're going to see that, God, that Jesus responds to John with. Look at the works of God and look at the words of God. And those two things will reassure your faith. But again, nowadays, when we doubt, we don't turn to Jesus. We need to turn to Jesus. When doubts begin to attack your mind, that's when you turn to Jesus. So we're going to see here, starting in verse 20, what Jesus says in response to John to help his doubting. Verse 20, he says, When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So Jesus gives John, through his disciples, the answer he needs about his doubts. Okay, so the assurance here is it comes from two things, like I said earlier. One from his works, and two from his word, God's word. So let's look at his works. So Jesus wants John to know about the things that he has been doing, right? What are the things he's been doing? He's been uh, healing infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits. He's giving blind sight. He's making the lame walk. He's raising the dead to life, right? He's doing all these things through the authority and the power of God. And Luke is compiling all these things that Jesus has done as eyewitness, as evidence to it, right? The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have historical documents that tell the same story, all from a different different perspective, and they tell of the amazing things that Jesus has done. John even says in John 20, in verse 30 and 31, he speaks of all the miraculous things that Jesus does as signs, right? As signs of who Jesus is. Says in verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If you have doubts about Jesus, look at the works that Jesus has done. And we look and we see the works. We see the historical evidence of the works that Jesus has done through this. Right? These are historical accounts from eyewitnesses. Right? Even the most... uh, miraculous thing that Jesus did was rise from the dead, we see that he revealed himself to 500 different people, right? So these are eyewitnesses, historical accounts. But even, even so, look at your own life and look at the, the miracles and the things that God has done in your own life. And now, we're, again, we're very narrow-minded and we're, we're sometimes blind to the things that God has done. But if we look in the perspective and think, man, look at all the things that God has done for me. And there's wonderful, beautiful things in the works of God that he has done. And the second thing that will reassure us in our time of doubt in regards to the word and Jesus 
is his word, you know, that we look to his word. And now Jesus, in this message to, to John through his disciples, I believe that he's hinting at the fulfillment of scriptures with these miracles that he's done, right? We see this in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6, where 700 years before this, Isaiah told us how to recognize the Messiah. He says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, and he will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So Jesus was reminding John to not just look at the miracles, but to look at the word of God for the answers to his questions. And guys, I believe that the word of God has, has all the answers we need to the questions that we have. All of them. To the doubts, to the fears, to the hurts, to the pain, to whatever it may be, the word of God has, has, has answers to it. And I think we, we come in here at church on Sundays and you guys walk in, some of you walk in excited and, and happy and the other few of you don't want to be here, which is fine. Like, I don't want to ever force anyone to ever do anything. But I think for a lot of us, we, we go through struggles and we go through doubts, and then we come to church, and we feel like those, those struggles and those doubts aren't met or helped. But you got to understand that, that hearing the Word of God preached to you isn't enough. It's good. It's edifying. It's needed. But more important than somebody preaching the word of God and teaching you and taking you through it is you yourself going to it. And so when we have these struggles and these doubts and these hurts and these pains, it's vital that you yourself, outside of the church, and I'm not saying neglect the church, but outside of the church, that you search the scriptures and you seek the answers and, and you find the life that is in this book. Otherwise, you will continue down the path that you're going through. Nothing can help you. Nothing can. I mean, it will be a, a, a tiny bit of help. It's like, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a, on a bullet wound, right? Like, yeah, maybe you, get, you grow up and you become rich, famous. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of the other things that we want in this world. Like, those things will help in a, in a, in a superficial type of way, but they won't help the way that Jesus helps us which is from the inside out, which is a transformation, which is a new heart, which then brings us joy and peace and love and, and all these wonderful things that we desperately want, but we're searching for it in other ways. And so I want to encourage you that like, when you doubt, when you have these things, go to the Word. The Word has it. Test it. Try it. If you don't believe me, try it. And if you don't try it, Nothing's all, nothing else is going to help. I, I can assure you that, and I can promise you that. And even in the Word, it reassures us of something that I think that even we as, as teens struggle with is the assurance of our salvation. We think, man, am, am, I, am I saved? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it. Um, I did this, I did that. But we have to remember that the Word of God reassures us in a lot of things. And our reassurance is not based on the things that we feel, but based on the fact and the truth of the Word of God that the word is true. And so if it tells me that I am born again and that I am saved and I have the reassurance of salvation based on these things, then I am saved, regardless of how I feel or what people say. 
that this is the truth and nothing else is. Jesus ends his message to John through his disciples by saying, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And Jesus knew that the focus of his ministry would be offensive to the expectation that the Jewish people would have because they were looking again for the Messiah to redeem them from the oppression of the Romans. And yet Jesus came to free them from sin. And that's not what they wanted, right? And they also believed that's not what they needed because they didn't think that they were in sin, right? They thought, man, I'm following all these rules and these legalities. And Jesus is like, no, like, I, I don't need you to do that. You're in sin and you need to be born again and to be redeemed by the Savior, by the Messiah. And so they rejected him. And, and we see this as he, as he does these things. He says in verse, um, where are we? In verse, where does he talk about the lawyers and the Pharisees? Verse 29. He says, when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So we, we've got the sinners, the tax collectors who repented, and then we've got the Pharisees and the lawyers who rejected the will of God because they didn't, they didn't think they needed God. So they never repented. Right? Not having been baptized by him. We'll get to that in a minute. So verse 24, When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he who, whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So we ask a, a rhetorical question in a sense. What, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Speaking of John, like, remember John's ministry was in the wilderness. He was, he was a different kind of dude, Right? Uh, he wore, you know, camel's hair, and he ate locusts and honey. Like, he was different, right? And he did his ministry out in the wilderness, and people went to go see him. And, and Jesus is going to explain that people went to go see him, not because he was some type of freak show, and not because of this or that, but because the dude spoke straight truth. And it's what they wanted. It's what they needed. And those who wanted truth found truth. And those who didn't want truth rejected truth. And we're going to see that with the Pharisees and the lawyers who rejected truth because they didn't want it. And then we see the uh, tax collectors who the Pharisees and the lawyers would say, well, there's no way that they would find God because they're, they're sinners. They're dead. And yet they repent. And we see the repentance through their baptism. We see that. So he says, what, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? And Jesus here explains that John was a great man of God he didn't live to his, for his own comfort or the approval of others, but rather he was a chosen prophet of God and not a man pleaser. He says, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? A man clothed in soft garments? He says, indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. John was steady. He wasn't shaken like a reed. He spoke the truth. He didn't bend his message just to please the people that were listening, he spoke the truth. And unfortunately, guys, there are many churches nowadays who won't share the truth as its truth. 
They will bend it so that they can please the people who hear it. And unfortunately, what happens is then it's not truth. And so what you're hearing and what you're taking in then leads you astray. Because there's only one path to truth, right? There's not multiple truths that lead to the same path. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. There is only one way, and it's through Jesus. And there's, again, there's many churches who will teach to justify all sorts of things. They'll teach, you know, the things that are becoming more and more relevant in our culture, whether it's the gender, the sexuality, uh, abortion, whatever it may be, teaching on things that it's okay, that it's not sin. But what happens is then you're diluting and you're changing truth, which is the word of God. And John didn't do that. John's like, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care if any of you don't even respond to me. You need the truth, so I'm going to share the truth with you. And Jesus says he was like a reed that wasn't shaken. John was, was sober. He lived a disciplined life. He wasn't in love with the comfort and the luxuries, you know, with the apparel, the, the things that you would find in the king's court. Right? The things that, that we can become so in love with and try to obtain. And John's like, that's not me. That's not who I was. Matthew 3, 4 says, John himself with clothes, was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. John was a servant. He was a prophet of God. And Jesus reiterates over and over again. He says, what did you go out to see? And he's pointing out to his, the people who are listening. They didn't go out to listen to John because he was some you know, cool guy with cool clothes and you know, a hip message, right? Like with, with cool alliterations and you know, props and, and all these things. And not that those things are bad, right? But they can sometimes lead us away from just simply teaching the word of God in its truth. You know, John was, was rough, but he spoke the truth. John was sent. He was chosen. He was a special messenger of the Lord. Uh, and he was considered the greatest under the old covenant. And so we're told here by, by Jesus that he was the greatest prophet and that there was none greater than him. But what's interesting is that John died before the new covenant was established. John died before Jesus died and rose again. And so John wasn't able to taste the new covenant. He wasn't able to partake in the new covenant. And that's why Jesus then says, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So he says in the old covenant, no one's greater than John. But in the new covenant, the least of all of us is still yet greater than John. How interesting that is. I mean, there's so many prophets of, that were great men, Samuel, Elijah, Isaiah, and yet Jesus, and, and Jesus doesn't lie, right? So what Jesus says, if, if he says that John was the greatest, then he was the greatest. But then also Jesus says again that those in the new covenant, right, whoever is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The new covenant changed everything. It changed everything. You know, instead of relying on us to provide a sacrifice, right, to go out and to get a goat or whatever it is, now God became our sacrifice, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How awesome is that, that whoever is the least in the kingdom now is greater than he. 
In verse 29, he says, when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, remember the tax collectors were ones that everyone hated, they justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and lawyers, they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Now, I want to just point out the importance of baptism here. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is something that, that Jesus commands us to do, but it has nothing to do with salvation. It is in response to that salvation. Okay? It is in response to the repentance that leads to salvation. Right. So when we see that the tax collectors were baptized, ultimately what Jesus is revealing to us is that they repented because they wouldn't have been baptized if they hadn't repented like we see with the Pharisees and the lawyers. They didn't repent, so they weren't baptized. And so that's what we're going to see with, with the, these two different groups of people, those who repented and those who don't repent. And those who repent will see the truth of Jesus, and those who don't repent will reject Jesus and see it as bad. So the Pharisees, the lawyers, obviously they're one of the most religious of all the Jews, um, and the sinners, being the tax collectors, they were open to the things that John said. They were open to the things that Jesus said. And the religious leaders, they were not. Again, remember, they had repented in preparation. In verse 31, the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? What are they like? And Jesus gives us a funny, interesting analogy and story. He says, They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. And the idea that we get here with this story that Jesus is giving us is that there are those who have the heart to criticize and they will always find something to criticize. Uh, there's always going to be people that cannot be pleased. And not so much with the things that you do. Like, that will always be the case. You can't please everyone. But that's not in the context of this. It's not in the reference of this. It really has to do with, with Jesus and his ministry and his word. That there will always be people who are not pleased because of they've rejected on the onset. right? So when we talked about, um, on Wednesday night, the other night, we talked about the question, is the Bible, does the Bible contradict itself? Like, is it truth? And one of the things that we, just, we brought out in the very beginning was there's going to be two types of people. Types of people who, one, that will be open to the truth and searching for the truth or another that will just completely reject the truth at, at, at the onset and any type of explanation or answer will never be good enough because they've already deter determined in their heart that it's not truth, right? So there will always be people who reject the Bible even when the right and best answers are given that will provide enough evidence to why it is truth, but they'll still reject it because they've already rejected it. Right? And for, you know, it all depends on how we go into it. Are we open to it or have we rejected it? And so there's many people who are like that who there's nothing you can do that will change their mind. And he likens it into these children who played the flute and they played it and with the expectation that they would dance and they wouldn't dance. Uh, they, they cried and they didn't weep with them. You know, Nothing seems to, to, to satisfy. They were never content. And so he says in verse 33, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he is a demon. 
And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so he's like, look, you guys, you rejected John, and you, your, your basis was, you know, he came not eating bread or drinking wine, and you then proclaimed he has a demon, he's some type of freak. And then here Jesus comes, and he does pretty much the opposite of what John does. And Jesus is trying to give us, like, one spectrum to the other, that no matter what is done, you reject it. There's nothing we could do. You just automatically reject it. So when John preaches about repentance and faith, they said, well, he has a demon. Because John was unsocial. He's too harsh, right? But when Jesus came with the same message of repentance and faith, they said he was a glutton, a drunkard. He was too social and he was too inclusive. They were never going to agree with God to begin with because they never wanted to repent. People who want to criticize will always criticize. I think that's a good thing to learn at a young age, (laughs) that we are not called to be people pleasers, that we cannot please everyone, that we need to follow truth and preach truth, and that's it. And whether people accept that or not, it's not based on you, it's based on them. It's their choice to accept or to reject. And we see them rejecting Jesus and rejecting John because that's what they've decided at the beginning. Because they didn't want to repent. And those who did repent, they heard the words of John, they heard the words of Jesus, and they understood it as truth, and they weren't confused. So Jesus tells this to the people who are listening. He tells the disciples to go back to John to give him this reassurance that through the work of Jesus and the word of Jesus, that I am who I say that I am, and that his, his doubt would then turn to faith, right? But again, it's important that we see that John, in his doubt, turned to Jesus. And Jesus ends this whole thing as he's, he's explaining to the people listening. He says, but wisdom is justified by all her children. The wise man is proved to be wise. How? By his actions, by his wise actions. And we see that through the actions of John, and we see that through the actions of Jesus. Again, people criticize John, but look at what he did, right? He led thousands of people into repentance, baptizing them, preparing them for the Messiah. And people criticize Jesus, but look at what he did. He taught, and he worked, and he loved, and he died on the cross, and he took our place for our punishment. I love it. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. It sounds like, sounds like my children in the morning when I wake up and my, my son's trying to tell my daughter to do something and then vice versa, but neither one wants to listen to the other one, right? They're just completely like, you can't tell me what to do. You're never completely satisfied. And we see, who, in, the end of, in the end, right, who, who is ultimately, now understand that Jesus lays down his life, but who ultimately kills Jesus? Is it, is it the sinners? Is it the tax collectors? Right? Is it the one that everyone said were bad people? Or was it the religious people? No, I understand we're all sinners, but it was the religious people, the ones who didn't think they were sinners. Right? It was the Pharisees. They were the ones who rejected the Messiah and said, he is not the Son of God. 
And so, I mean, even that is just a wake-up call in, in, in questioning, look, am I, am I so religious that I, I don't, I, I'm not even, I don't even know who Jesus is, right? Am I, am I so focused on doing the religious things that I don't even have a relationship with Jesus? He says, depart from me for I never knew you. And you're thinking, well, I did all these things in your name. I, I, I went to church. I served in children's ministry. I went on mission trips. I, I, and all these things are good and, and necessary, but not at the expense of being with Jesus. And that's why I want to encourage you guys. Like, this is important. The Sunday is important to, to, to work through the word of God together, to come together, to, to fellowship, to sharpen one another, to encourage one another, to pray with one another. These things are all important. Even just simple fellowship with one another is so important in the times that we live in. But more important than any of that is what you do throughout the week. Do you turn to Jesus? Because again, if we don't do that, we're going to be stuck in the same old rut that we're stuck in. We're going to come here every Sunday. It's going to be the same old thing. Nothing is ever going to change. And that's a miserable place to be in. And you are not exempt from pain and hurt and the things that you will experience going forward, and Jesus is, is the only one who's going to help you through those things. He may not abstain you from them, but he will help you through them. And if I have to go through hardship, and I have to go through pain, I have to go through hurt, I, I want to have somebody who can sympathize and empathize, and also give me the, the power, and give me joy, and give me the things that I need to be able to get through them. So I, again, I want to encourage you throughout the week. And again, like we've talked about, it's your choice. Nobody can force you to do anything. We can play the flute, but it doesn't mean you have to dance, <laughs> right? Nobody can force you to do anything. Nobody can force you into the kingdom of God. Because if you can be forced into the kingdom of God, then you can be forced out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the extra hour that we got. And Lord, I pray that you would... Just continue to be with us throughout the week that if there's any of us in this room who are struggling and doubting, Lord, that we would be reassured by your works and by your word. Lord, that we would turn to you in our time of need, in our time of desperation. Lord, we know that our enemy is real, and that he is willing and wanting to attack. But Lord, help us to, to fend off those attacks, Lord, by being in your word, by putting on the armor of God. Lord, you've called us to be strong and not weak. But Lord, I know we can't do that without you. So we just thank you for the reassurance of what you've done and knowing what you will do and having the hope that we have. We just thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.